0: you're listening to the cxmh podcast cxmh is a podcast at the intersection
1: of faith and mental health Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Boer, and I am one of your hosts, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing today?
2: Hey, Robert. I'm doing well. How are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I'm good. Excited. I guess I always say that. Excited for this interview, for people to hear, <laughs> but no, I'm doing I'm doing pretty well.
2: Good, good. Yeah, this this was a good one. I'm really excited about this one coming up.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, in this episode, we talked to Dr. Leslie Korn, who is kind of a an expert in the area of nutrition and how that impacts mental health, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And then we talked a l- about a lot of different things, obviously, but I wanted to ask you just, yes. you know, it's been, so <laughs> we probably recorded this like a month ago, just to, Ish, I think, somewhere like around that. there. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Have you incorporated anything that we talked about in this episode oh, into your man. daily life?
2: Yeah. So let's, let's think about that <laughs> for a second. <laughs> no, I always, I, I really do like to lean on, you know, doing just one thing at a time and you can't change everything all at once because then you're just setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. So I think taking those baby steps, like I've taken some baby steps. So like right now I actually have a, a smoothie that's, you know, a lot of spinach and some protein and strawberries and bananas that are, that I've got going. And so I'm learning how to just maybe swap out like one meal uh, at a time, at least that's a better better option. Um, but I know one of the things that we talked about in this episode, uh, with Dr. Korn was on caffeine and I am just, (laughs) I'm not there yet. I am, that is not one that I have been able to surrender to. So, um, But I'm taking baby steps. What about you? How are you doing with it? Or what's changed or not? Or
1: yeah. So kind of similar to you. I mean, I love that one of the things that we talk about in this episode is taking kind of small steps, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's we, we all know people that do big, huge diets and then it's not sustainable. And you know, for I guess probably like a year now, I've been thinking, man, I really should eat better. I guess. I mean, I've always generally thought that, but just not cared that much, but especially since we found out that we were pregnant, and then obviously now we Mm -hmm. have had gray and all that, but, you know, it made me think, like, man, I really should eat healthier so I can live longer in general, but then also just be in a little bit better shape so I can play with him and stuff like that. So
0: it's been, like,
1: on my list, kind of always in the back of my mind, which I feel like is probably similar to a lot of people, you know, kind of just always, yeah, I should I should eat better, I should be more healthy, Mm -hmm. but... Safe to say that uh, I'm in a similar spot as you where, nope, I have not revolutionized my diet. (laughs) I think the only like tangible steps that I've taken since this episode, I've been trying to drink a lot more water.
2: Yes. Which I'm not very good good at
1: because I I prefer to drink pretty much anything else. Um, So Mm -hmm. since this episode, I've been trying to be really intentional about drinking a whole bunch more water. She talks about Mm -hmm. kind of the ratio of how to figure out what how much water you should drink and stuff like that. So that's Mm -hmm. been my kind of baby step you know and i i think about the things i eat but i, I it doesn't translate into any action on, so yeah. that's all right definitely baby steps who knows yeah
2: those baby steps. And then I think the awareness piece, I think that was really helpful too. And like reflecting on and thinking about, you know, when I eat these certain types of food, how do I feel after versus Mm -hmm. when I eat other types of food. And so I've, I've been paying attention to that, especially in the season of transition. And I know we talked about that a little bit last week in our intro, um, just, you know, finding that, that sense of getting our feet underneath us and I have found that, you know, choosing just a couple of better options as I can um, yeah. has kind of helped with this season of transition. So while yeah. at the same time offering tons of grace and, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. So this was – I'm really excited for our listeners to get to hear this episode.
1: Yeah. Well, no, and I think that's even maybe good for listeners to hear is because, you know, there's this thing that tends to happen with everybody, I guess. But, you know, in general where you say, hey, I'm going to do this big thing. I'm going to change this because I want it to be better. And then mm-hmm. it's not sustainable because you try to do it in huge chunks. And then that makes you feel bad. So then yeah. it like spirals downwards. Right. And I think that happens That's a lot right. with diets. I know yep. a lot of people who say I'm going to eat better and they do it for a week or two. And then, whoops, they slipped up once. And so they think, well, that that ruined everything I've done.
0: But maybe, you
1: know, even as we're talking about here, kind of these baby steps, right? But saying, okay, well, this week I didn't, I didn't do what I had wanted. You know, I kind of fell off from what I was trying to do, but that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's ruined everything I've done. It's that happens and, mm-hmm. you know, I can get back on it as opposed to, well, I've, I've ruined it. And therefore the whole thing is, you know, I kind of give up and, and think worse of myself and throw my hands up in defeat, you know?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. You know.
1: Hey, we're right. we're right there with you, listeners, if you listen to this and think, I should eat better, and then don't. Yep. Just that one step at a time.
2: Company. Just, yep, little baby steps, and that's it. That's the best we can do, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Well, anything else exciting going on in your life?
2: In the Ox Handler Home. No, we're we're doing pretty good. Um, Yeah, just, you know, taking on little projects here and there and stepping into some things that I haven't done before, but I'm learning and just... I don't know, just trying to stay open, palms up, and, you know, kind of going through this season with that mentality. So, Mm, yeah. yeah. What about you guys? Anything else exciting or...
1: Um, I mean, I know, I feel like every time I've been asked that on the show, I say something about being in kind of transitions, which has yeah. honestly been the last, you know, five years of our lives. I feel okay. like it's just one transition after the other, but definitely yeah. still in kind of that mode. You and I have talked about this some, but trying to increase some, some outside things that I'm doing in terms of like consulting and trainings for ministries or oh, yeah. or things like that. So, uh, huh been uh, pursuing a lot of that which is actually really exciting. It's one of those things that's scary in terms of a little bit less stable uh, financially and things like that, you know, cuz mm-hmm. they're they're all individual things, but it's really cool to talk to ministry leaders or you know just people that want to get their group talking about mental health or or whatever yeah. it is and yeah. to hear what their vision is behind that and then to kind of help work with them to create that. So You know, I'm talking with a a youth pastor right now about not only doing the suicide prevention training, which is kind of, you know, I I really love doing that, but having a a night for that all his parents could come to about kind of developmentally what's happening with teenagers and things like that. Yeah. And so things like that, that I wouldn't have said, Hey, let me propose this as an idea. But, you know, that's something that he thinks would be helpful for him and, and the parents of his youth group and stuff. And that's so cool to me to be able to say, Okay, that's a cool idea. Let me kind of help make that possible. And, so a bunch of different things like that kind of in you know stages of talking with people about doing things like that but yeah it is it's really cool and exciting for me to i guess get to see what other people are interested in hearing about and what they think would be good for people to hear about and then to kind of help bring the actual content you know
2: that's so cool yeah no and i and i love just your enthusiasm behind all of that i mean i really hear you know that this is something you're you're like I get to do this like this is so yeah. cool and like how do you build space and margin to be able to get to do those things that you know you may not be able to do if you were you know spending time doing something else so yeah. um so it's it's just so neat getting to hear what you're doing with the pastors and and these groups and leaders and yeah, I'm really excited to hear more about that as that kind of unfolds. That's awesome. Yeah, and
1: uh, partially I owe some of that to you because you brought up when you interviewed me kind of the two uh, the two part mission statement that I had written
2: oh yeah, like a, ho-
1: uh-huh. a couple years ago. Yeah. Um, and so there was kind of this I guess time period for a week or two after we did that episode where you know I was doing oh, individual counseling which fit really uh-huh. well with one of them and then I was in the stages of doing this other thing that was not maybe the best fit for our family like time wise Mm -hmm. and energy wise but also kind of Mm -hmm. getting you reminding me of that and me saying hey this maybe doesn't fit with the vision that i have for what i think i'm supposed to be doing and so focusing more on the second one which required stepping out of another thing you know which uh, you and i have talked about some personally which wasn't wasn't the easiest thing but really putting passion and energy behind kind of the second bullet point of those things. Um And if yeah. you have no idea what we're talking about, that's totally fine. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> kind of narrowing and saying, hey, what is it that I feel like we're supposed to be doing and putting our energy and time into, even yeah. if that is a little less sure. Yeah, um, But kind yep. of stepping into that and saying, hey, I, I really believe that this is – the, the things that I'm supposed to be focusing on and leaning into yes. um, and then, you know, working to, to make those happen, which ends up being easier somewhat anyway, even though it's it's less stable because it's something I'm passionate about. So it's yeah. easier to kind of.
2: Yeah, you know? no, I totally agree. And I mean, it's it's truly I mean, I think I had mentioned this. And when you did the interview with me that I, you know, have spent some time talking with my faculty about their why. The, like the why behind what they do, the why behind their teaching and their research and their service and all the ways that they just give and give and give to students in the community. And, and I, I think when you really do get down to that why deep down, um, it does help to discern, you know, is this the best use of my time right now? And sometimes we don't have that choice. Sometimes we, you know, we just have to get through those seasons mm-hmm. where. This may not be exactly what I love to do or, you know, want to do, but it's what I need to do right now. And sometimes we just have to be able to discern, is this, you know, just to keep checking in with ourselves through that process. So it's, I love that you're able to pull back and say, well, I can't do this, this side job right now. And maybe I, I really need to be devoting my attention towards this other thing and working with the, um, the pastors. But, but I also recognize that there's just a time and season for each of those and finding that balance is, it's a hard discerning process, right? Like it's (laughs) hard, but I'm kudos to you for pausing and thinking about that and and taking that step that I know that, I mean, just from our conversations, it's a really courageous step. So, um, Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. There you
1: go. There's uh, at least part of a a shameless self-plug if you're in, I guess, the Atlanta (laughs) area or uh, somewhere that's maybe drivable and you want to learn more about faith and mental health or anything like that for you or your group, just uh, shoot me an email. Yeah. Love to make it happen.
2: That's awesome.
1: Okay. Well, hey, let's transition into the episode. because I do think it is one of the I feel like it's very practical going back through and listening and editing yeah. it. I feel like yeah. it's very practical, um, even if you can't immediately revamp your whole diet like we kind of talked about. But, right. you know, there's some pretty practical steps in there um, as well as just fascinating. So,
2: yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Great. So right.
1: let's transition. Hego is our interview with Dr. Leslie Korn on nutrition and mental health. Hey, real quick, just wanted to give you a heads up. There's a couple places in the beginning of this interview where Dr. Korn's audio kind of cuts in and out. Partway through the interview, I switched which internet in my house I was attached to. So just hang in there. I promise it doesn't last the whole episode. There's just a couple spots, but just wanted to give you a warning. Today we are joined by Dr. Leslie Korn. Dr. Korn is a Harvard Medical School trained traumatologist specializing in mental health, nutrition, and integrative approaches to treating the mind and body. She's the author of a bunch of different books. Uh, we can get some more into all of that. But Dr. Korn, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much, Robert and Holly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Thank you absolutely. for being here. Holly and I were talking before this and I, I mentioned to her that this has been an episode that I've wanted to do for a long, long time. Uh, I get a lot of questions about kind of nutrition and mental health and how those interact. And so I'm really excited to hear from you. I know that's one of the things that you specialize in. But other than, you know, the official bio that I that I said there, is there anything else that, you know, our listeners should should know about you?
0: Well, I think probably one of the more interesting things about my career is I actually began my career in the jungle of Mexico. And that's really what introduced me to natural medicine, what we really call traditional medicine, medicine that's rooted in cultural practices. Uh, And so even though I'm from the city, from Boston originally, uh, and trained in very conventional settings, I had the opportunity to learn much of my craft with indigenous peoples working in rural areas. And so I bring a lot of that wisdom to my work.
1: I think that's perhaps uh, missing in my official bio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's actually one of my first questions was, you know, the story of how you got into all this is pretty interesting. How did all of that come about where you were in Mexico for a bit? And then, you know, I mean, what was, how did all that happen?
0: You know, I think sometimes we are led uh, along a path. We don't always know why, but we follow it. And it leads to the most amazing places. And I've certainly found this to be the case in my career and my life that uh, things came to me when I was least expecting them. So really, I was traveling. Uh, I was a college dropout. I was off in search of adventure. I (laughs) knew I wanted to write. And I was really led to this little fishing village in Mexico. Uh, No roads, no electricity, no doctors, no running water. And I fell in love with being there mm. and I stayed there for 10 years Wow! and I wow. started a little school there and while I was there I got sick with absolutely everything possible and the good news was that the women in the village taught me their wise ways. They taught me about the use of herbs and natural medicines and it was in that organic process that it really stimulated my what I think had been a long interest anyway in kind of the role of nature in mm-hmm. our health, how we're we're really human animals in on this earth, living with other um, all kinds of beings, and that Mother Earth really provides us with what we need if we can only just tap into it. So that's a little bit about how I was catapulted into that adventure. And then I decided to make a career of it.
2: That's
0: so awesome.
2: Leslie, I love that. I love especially how you're talking about how you, you know, as life unfolds, you just kind of have these events and situations that just happen that aren't expected. but, But it's just so beautiful how that's unfolded for you. So I something I'm really curious about, um, and I know Robert and I have talked about this, but probably one of the, the first questions for us to start with is, you know, building on your experience and building on the work that you're doing now, what is it um, or how does nutrition really impact our mental and emotional health? Like, can you unpack that
0: relationship um, between those two for us? Absolutely. It is absolutely central. And I would maintain, up until recently, it's been the missing piece in mental health treatment. You know, I'm trained as a psychotherapist. I actually trained in a variety of forms of naturopathic medicine, massage therapy, acupuncture. But for me, in my clinical practice, the missing piece was always nutrition. And Mm. the thing that I share with my clients and my students is think about your car. You could have the best, the newest car, but if you don't put in the right fuel, if you don't lubricate it, if you don't clean out the oil Mm -hmm. filters, if you don't make sure it doesn't get rusty, or if it does, you patch it up, If you don't do all that, it doesn't matter what that car is supposed to do. You're not giving it the right fuel. Hmm. And our brains need the right fuel. And I think with modern life, we've gotten on really the wrong track with a lot of fake foods, a lot of synthetic foods, and Mm -hmm. frankly, a lot of foods that really aren't the fuel that our brain needs. And so that's the essence of the the concept of fueling our brain, fueling our mind, giving ourselves the energy. And the other very important piece about that is that we're all different. We all have yeah. different cars. Some of us drive a VW. Some of us drive a Jaguar. Probably not too many of us. But, you know, <laughs> depending upon what we drive, I've got an old Mercedes diesel. And so that needs diesel fuel. So the other piece around nutrition is it's not only important for the brain, mind, and body, but it needs to be exactly what our individual bodies needs and not necessarily mm. someone
1: else's. That's so good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. So in your, in one of your books, I think it's the latest one called The Good Mood Kitchen, you write about the connection between the gut and the brain. And you actually refer to the gut as the second brain. And I love, I mean, you, you bring out these, you know, we all kind of know this. We say, Oh, when I get nervous, I, you know, I can, I get butterflies in my stomach or, you know, things like that. Can you talk a little bit about that type of connection?
0: That's so right, Robert. How many times did we say, I just feel it in my gut. Yeah. You know, we yes. are, we've got a gut feeling and what's so interesting is that we've now discovered Dr. Robert Gerson is called the gut the second brain and he's a physician working in New York and what's been discovered is that we actually make more brain chemicals or more chemicals for the brain in our gut than we do in the brain itself And so if the gut, meaning our digestive system, which I I call it our garden, If, if our garden doesn't have the right kind of earth and the nutrients and the bacteria to grow, then we're not going to have a full amount of good chemicals that support our brain. And we know this, interestingly enough, for many years, When someone was anxious, for example, the doctors would refer people, let's say to me, for treatment for anxiety. And they'd say, oh, you've got to help this person relax. Mm. They've got colitis. They've got inflammatory bowel. They've got ulcers and we know that the anxiety is affecting these digestive problems Mm -hmm. and so we'd say okay Mm -hmm. we're going to help you relax we're going to teach you how to breathe and we're going to explore the things that are going on in your life but now we know it's not just a one-way street we know that it's the gut and the failure to have lots of good bacteria that create good brain chemicals in the gut that affect our anxiety. It's not just our anxiety affecting our gut. So we now have more tools to enhance our digestion, enhance our gut function with fermented foods, let's say, to decrease anxiety. And so it's a very profound discovery that we've made.
1: Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say I'm listening to this and I say, hey, I'm so on board. This sounds awesome. You know, I'm loving this. Where would I start in evaluating my diet and things? You know, I say, hey, I've, I eat an average amount of probably nonsense food and maybe healthy food. I mean, where do I start in kind of evaluating or thinking through all of that?
0: Robert, I love the term you use, nonsense food, because <laughs> if we break that apart, it means nonsense. It uh-huh. doesn't help your senses. <laughs> I love that. Uh, awesome. I think that's better than junk food, so I'm going to borrow it. There you uh, go. Hey, I get a citation <laughs> in your next book. Awesome. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, the first step is I ask people to really pay attention to how they feel after they eat. In my clinical practice, in my books, and in my classes, clearly I go through very comprehensive ways to analyze one's health and one's gut lab tests and history. But the first step everyone can do is say, hey, how did I feel after that meal? Did I feel like falling asleep after lunchtime? Because that lets me know that you've eaten way too many refined carbs. And so because if you eat a power lunch of lots of good protein and vegetables, you're not going to fall asleep. It's not natural to fall asleep after you eat lunch. It's because you've given your body too much glucose and then it causes insulin and then you just want to f- fall over and go to sleep. I ask people to tune into awareness, awareness about how they feel after they eat certain foods or certain meals because we have such a dissociation in our society about this relationship and everyone's getting pummeled with ideas of, Oh, do you have indigestion? Take this. Oh, you've got uh, GERD? Take this. And everyone thinks it's natural to have these symptoms. It's not. So the first step is paying attention and awareness and questioning. Now, the second step, I've got some hard and fast rules. One hard and fast rule is make the change where it's easiest to make first. I have Hmm. never, ever had a client say to me, Oh, Doctor Corn, don't make me eat butter. I just (laughs)
1: want
0: to eat butter. I don't want to give up my margarine and my my fake and bacon and my (laughs) egg whites. And so I work with people to say, let's get rid of the nonsense food like rap flour oil or canola oil or margarine, all the fake stuff. Let's go and see what Mother Nature has given us: butter. Mm. Uh, olive oil, coconut oil, so I like to work with people to make the easy changes first that aren't going to be too difficult to make, and changing out your fats will give you the best response uh, because it's those bad fats, those non-fats that are really bad for the brain.
1: Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I think that's so awesome. Yeah. I love that because I think one of my supervisors, what I, and I completely stole this from him, but he always used to say to us, you know, what's the smallest change you could make? like the smallest step towards where it is you're trying to go. And so thinking about, you know, some, we always do, you know, New Year's resolutions. I'm going to change my entire diet and it never works because that's not sustainable. So, I mean, what you're saying there, what are the, what are the small things that we can change and then progressively move towards, you know, maybe a whole new diet eventually. But right now, what are, what's realistically, what can we do? Yes.
2: Well, and especially I think once you make those small changes, any kind of behavioral change that's small, when you start to feel that sense of success and feel that sense of, oh, hey, I at least was able to do this and get that rhythm, it I feel like it helps you to to be able to start to take on other small changes that eventually lead to big change.
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. I'll, yeah. I'll give an example of that. In The Good Mood Kitchen, I write a lot about the principle of substitutions. And what that says is find a healthy substitute for the food that you like. And I'll tell you about a a client of mine, John, who came. And he just said, oh, Dr. Korn, please don't. I love my hot dogs and sauerkraut. Please don't take those away from me. <laughs> <laughs> he had a lot of problems. And I said, fine, John, but let's get you a good quality organic hot dog without the sugar, without the additives that are making you moody, and how about instead of that store bought sauerkraut, get some fresh sauerkraut and all that good fermentation is going to be good for your gut, it's good for your mood. So, either this way, or it's like I work with a lot of parents whose children have a diagnosis of. Or they they may give you know medications for ADHD and they're coming to me and say I really don't want to give them this medication. I said, well, you know what are they eating? Well, they're eating cereal for breakfast, then they're having pizza for lunch, and then they're having having a mm-hmm. snicker. <laughs> and I said, let's find some healthy substitutes for that. And one of the things I teach them is my recipe for a healthy almond joy chocolate mm. candy. And so it's not that you can't eat your sweets. What better food is there for you than chocolate, almonds, and coconut? uh, But an almond joy that's made without the sugar. And I Mm -hmm. teach people how to do that. So the idea of sacrifice uh, with diet, really, I try to put it aside because, as you well point out, it's not sustainable. We Mm. have to satisfy the senses and and our sense of well-being and sharing with others and and enjoy uh, what we're eating.
2: Yeah. So Leslie, I, I love that you're talking about these small things that we can do to, to substitute that principle of substitutions that you mentioned. And I wanted to follow up with you on that, especially thinking about like potential barriers that clients might be experiencing. So you mentioned your client who was saying, you know, don't, or I don't want to get rid of hot dogs. But I start to think too about barriers that include, you know, the amount of time? I mean, I I often hear folks mention, well, I don't have time to prep, you know, healthy meals or financially, it feels like it's really overwhelming or it could be really costly. What do you tell clients specifically with those two
0: barriers? I approach it in a variety of ways, Holly, depending upon the client. Number one, I talk about food as medicine, food as prevention. And in the long run, they're going to save money on medications, on doctor's bills, on time out of work if they do, you know, that old ounce of prevention. And so I really try to educate them on the principle that I write about the all, eating all the colors of the rainbow. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry so much about vitamins, but if you choose foods of all colors, you're getting vitamins, nutrients, and chemicals that support the brain, mind and body. So number one, I do some education about food and as medicine and prevention. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I have to I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pause you really quick and tell you I love that because I try to use that with my daughter. My daughter's um, about to be six. And that's been the, like one of the best ways to get I feel like to get her to get excited about eating food that has lots of vitamins in them is is the color in them. So I
0: love that that
2: you mentioned that. That's so awesome.
0: Absolutely. And the, the other thing that I do is I work with people based on their budget. I'm a big fan of the crock pot for people who are busy. I teach them how to, you can get a whole chicken. You can get some celery, carrots, and onions, and garlic. Among the least expensive of vegetables, you can spend five minutes literally chopping it up, throwing it into your crock pot, adding water, and leaving for the day, going to work, and coming back and having a delicious stew. You can add a little white wine to it to really enrich it at the end if you like. And voila, a little sea salt and pepper, you've spent 10 minutes and you've got a delicious meal in front of you. And I also love using blenders. And in addition to using foods as medicine, I really believe in the value of nutritional supplementation, but not everybody has time to take pills. Some people don't like to swallow them. So I'm a big fan also of powdered nutrients and especially for children uh, i like to give smoothie recipes where you can make uh delicious berry smoothies and add a little bit of liquid fish oil and some powdered nutrients for focus and attention and blood sugar and you you have your medicine for the day and it takes you 10 minutes and it's a delicious treat so I really work with people where they're at. Think about making bone broth. Some of the most cost effective foods you can get are organic uh, marrow bones for a couple of dollars a pound, and yet they they have so many nutrients in them. They're so good for the joints, so important for the brain and mood. When I'm working with people coming off the addictions, that is one of the most important soups that I teach them how to make. So. I think it's very feasible, it's very cost-effective, and you save money in the long run.
2: Yeah, no, that's good. That makes really good sense. I love that. Just as you're talking about food as medicine and prevention and um, just, again, going back to those making small little steps and having some really feasible, I mean, the crock pot. That's awesome. That's uh, we we lean on that as often as we can remember <laughs> to. <laughs> In my household, but we I mean my husband and I have been getting so much better about meal planning and sitting down together and listing out, you know, what it is that we're going to get but 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 we are realizing that, you know, even though it may seem really costly, once we actually go and do it and compare, well if we went out and ate a ton one month versus meal planning the other month, there's there's actually, we, we save money in a lot of ways. Um, so that's been interesting. I, one thing I was thinking about too is I, I know, and I, I definitely have seen and and um, understand how food can be a form of preventative, providing us those uh, vitamins and acting as like a medication. But but I also wonder, um, or maybe want to caution that, Certainly, it would never replace. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but but I would think it wouldn't replace any kind of medication, specifically for mental health. Like if someone is is receiving some kind of medication for mental health treatment, they wouldn't want to stop that and just go with the food route, right? I would well, I, 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 want to
0: talk with your doctor and... You would want to work with your physician, of course. Okay. There is a whole science, and this is really a lot of my clinical practice, and I'll be presenting at a conference in September that's just about this. I came back last year from a meeting in New Jersey about keeping kids off of medication. So for the purpose of our listeners, it's never wise to come off your medication without working with a, a your prescribing doctor uh, to do so. Um, however, there is a science of nutrition uh, to come off of medications and to replace them with um, nutritional supplementation and herbal medicine. And so there's no question in my mind that most people can recover and, and manage mental distress by following what I call the rainbow blueprint. It's not only eating according to your type, what you need for your body. Uh, You may be a carnivore or you may be a vegetarian, but that's a scientific metabolic genetic fact uh, that you need to follow. And then there are many nutrients like amino acids in particular that act on the brain in very similar ways to medications. And so If anyone is wanting to say, you know, this medication isn't working well for me or I've got side effects, then you can uh, bring this up to your prescriber and then work together in a team with a nutritional therapist, for example, who is savvy about how to sometimes lower doses or even replace it altogether. So there is a science of this, but Mm -hmm. it must be done in conjunction with a professional. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, really that's helpful. Yeah. definitely
1: the important part is, you know, you said talk to your, your physician, your prescribing physician, as well as a nutritionist who knows about these things specifically, who knows what they're doing. Exactly. So it's not just, mm-hmm. well, I'll we'll eat a salad and then I won't be oh, depressed, no. or, you know.
0: Right, And right. Let's, let's remember, you know, when we have a broken bone, uh, no amount of vitamins and uh, herbal plasters is going to fix that bone. So I think the the real issue here is understanding each type of medicine and the role it plays in our health and I think we've just been skewed too far to one side where you see people on five six or seven medications uh, and then you can start to replace those uh, in conjunction with your physician and a nutritional therapist uh, by changing your diet and by finding those substitutions
1: yeah
2: yeah that makes good sense thank you
1: So I know, and you mentioned it there, but in, I mean, you have a book called Eat Right, Feel Right that is a lot of recipes and they're broken down into things that could help with specific areas. But before we get into maybe some specifics, what would you say are the most impactful foods or types of foods, either positive or negative in regards to mental health? Well, we've discussed fats. And so
0: that's the first place to make your change, giving up your bad fats and using your good fats. And that's the easiest thing, because as I say, no one's uh, sorry about eating delicious butter and coconut oil and olive oil. Um, I think the next really important thing is to recognize that sugar is not your friend. Uh, we tend to gravitate towards sugar when we are self-medicating, when we're feeling down in the dumps or when we want more energy. But do you know that we now understand that depression comes from inflammation in the body? It's not just about negative life experiences, which certainly contributes to feeling depressed. But we know it is not abnormal brain chemistry per se. It begins with inflammation. And what is the most inflammatory food we can eat? It's sugar. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm working with someone who's depressed or anxious, or even who has, you know, OCD or ADHD, really everything. Everyone is going to benefit from cold turkey of sugar and finding a substitute like a little bit of raw honey or stevia. So that these are some of the big no's. There's just no way around getting out of these trans fats and and bad fats, giving up sugar and finding substitutes for your sweet tooth. And the other thing that's very inflammatory are these refined flours. So giving up your white bread, let's say, and finding substitutes. So we've got things that we get rid of that are causing us harm. And then we also act to take in lots of healthy foods. What are they? The colors of the rainbow are beautiful. Blue and purple fruits are among the healthiest for us, and they'll mm. counteract the inflammation of having eaten sugar too. And so that's a lot of the recipes that I give. I I've got lot. I I love smoothies, and so I've got a mocha smoothie for the afternoon pick me up. You don't have to go for your donuts or your sweets and another cup of coffee. You can make a delicious smoothie with a little espresso, if you like, a little pure organic cocoa, a little stevia, a little coconut oil. I guarantee you, you will be satisfied. And, you know, as women, we tend to crave chocolate because we need extra magnesium. And so understanding those cravings and giving our body what it truly wants that's the key to making all these changes. So those, I think, are the three most important foods to give up. It's the sugar, the refined flours, and, of course, the bad fats, and then to start exchanging with some of those really healthy, uh, brightly colored foods.
2: Oh, that's so helpful. Yeah, especially thinking about specifically what those different colored foods do and how they help us. I, I was just thinking that, especially thinking about the fats, I love avocados. And so hearing you talking about those healthy fats is, I feel so validated with my love for avocados. <laughs> um, You're so right. One...
0: An avocado a day will keep the doctor away. Yeah, no, that's, that will make <laughs> me so happy. I love that. Um,
2: so you're, so as I'm listening to you talk about the foods, one of the things that's coming up that I am, I'm actively resisting wanting to ask about, but I know that I need to ask about caffeine and the role of caffeine. Mm -hmm. Um, I love coffee and I try to get in as much water during a day and, and maybe you can talk about water as well, but caffeine and oh man i don't know dr corn i'm here curious of what your thoughts are about caffeine in general
0: well here's my saying a coffee is a drug it's not a beverage so use it wisely
1: <laughs> <laughs> i was if you didn't bring that up i was going to bring it up because that in reading some of your book that line has stuck with me more than anything else because You know, we are, I feel like as a society in this weird place where we're constantly tired, which is your body saying, hey, you need some rest. But we've said, no, that's not what that means. That means that I need to, you know, medicate that with a bunch of caffeine and then ignore that I need some rest, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So here's my approach to coffee. Coffee is very good for you in moderation. Coffee Mm -hmm. is a mood booster. It helps us think it Coffee stimulates our dopamine, which is the chemical of pleasure and focus. And so no wonder we like coffee. But as you say, Robert, too much coffee can hide the fact that we're tired. And so what I recommend people do is drink a good quality cup of organic coffee in the morning, even if you have two shots, it's fine. It's a little mood booster. It gets you going. Uh, Nothing wrong with that. And then as you go throughout the day, I like to use herbs and nutrients that we call adaptogens, these are food and herb substances that support the stress response naturally without being like a hammer hitting you over the head saying, mm. come on, wake up, get going, <laughs> which is what coffee does by 1 p.m. Mm-hmm. And so it's all part of the idea of, of living according to our 24-hour rhythm. So wake up in the morning, but then in the afternoon, I've got a wonderful green tea smoothie. Now, the thing about green tea that's a good alternative to coffee in the afternoon is that it not only has a little bit of caffeine, but it also has an amino acid called theanine, which is, acts just the opposite of coffee. So whereas coffee and caffeine uh, stimulate you The anine relaxes you, but because Mm -hmm. green tea has both of them, you have a kind of relaxed stimulation, Mm -hmm. and it's perfect for the afternoon when you want to be um, energized, but you don't want to get hyped up. And so that's your afternoon drink that you have to maintain your energy. And so along with some adaptogens that support adrenal function, and that's how I work with people who are saying, I'm exhausted, I'm tired. Now, the other reason that we're often tired is that many people aren't eating enough protein they're not eating enough good quality eggs. Mm. I think eggs are your perfect food. Mm-hmm. Everyone should have at least two eggs a day. And it's brain food. It's energizing food. So sometimes when you're tired, it's our diets are too heavy on the refined carbo side. And we just mm. keep grabbing coffee and sweets to boost ourselves up.
1: Yeah. So we've talked, I mean, that was some, you know, we've talked some about specific things for depression, anxiety, and uh, even, you know, focus right there. I know that in Eat Right, Feel Right, you have recipes broken up for each of these things, but there's one on insomnia, right? And one of my favorite things that is in that chunk is you write about eating oats at nighttime, as opposed to, you know, we kind of think of oatmeal as a breakfast thing. But uh, do you have some tips for people who have problems? So myself included, I have terrible time falling asleep. In general, it's uh, been easier since uh, my wife and I had uh, our first son uh, three months ago. But uh, before that, just terrible time falling asleep. So what about like a, a nighttime routine? What things would you recommend for that?
0: Well, Robert, congratulations! And Thank you. I'm glad having your son is helping you sleep. Usually, you lose sleep. Oh well, no! Yeah, I guess
1: I, I guess <laughs> I should clarify. Wonderful. It's uh, because I get less sleep. I'm I fall asleep easier because I'm uh-huh. more tired.
0: <laughs>
1: Robert, you've got a
0: very interesting sense of logic there. So I'm going to give <laughs> you a fabulous recipe. Um, the reason I talk about oats, oats, oats are one of the best foods to eat when you're anxious and stressed. And, you know, when when our minds get going and we just can't quiet down, it's not something we want to eat in the morning, even though we're used to it, because it just kind of calms us down when we really want to be energized. It's a great evening meal or an evening snack because oats is very relaxing, so it's a, that's a good meal, but I've got a favorite recipe that you're going to love, Robert. It's called a cherry chamomile smoothie. And what we know is that cherries support the hormone melatonin, which helps us sleep. And so, and we know chamomile does too, chamomile tea. So what I recommend is I have my clients make a quart of really strong chamomile tea, they can keep it in the fridge. They get a bag of frozen cherries, keep it in the freezer. And if you want almond milk or some yogurt, whatever you like, a little bottle of stevia in the fridge, and you've got everything made for you, and it'll last for a couple of weeks for you just every night uh, as an evening snack, Uh, make put some frozen cherries a little bit of the milk and stevia or a little bit of yogurt maybe some ice if you want and then add your chamomile to it and you've got a delicious drink that's going to support the natural hormones that will help you fall asleep now the other trick Robert to think about is that sometimes you know we hear an old adage that Uh, you shouldn't eat before you go to sleep. But that's not true for everyone. Hmm. Some people actually need a little bit in their belly to fall asleep uh, because blood sugar can drop. If you eat at 7 at night, sometimes your blood sugar drops and your body goes into an alarm state if you go to sleep by 10 or 11. And so I recommend for people to have just a little piece of cheese or a little piece of protein, maybe a crack or just a little something to fill the belly and support blood sugar. Now, Holly, just let me say one more thing, because you brought up about water and I just Yeah, that's actually,
2: that's actually what I was, I was just about to circle back to ask you about that, because I wanted to hear a little bit more about it.
0: I think we're all three of us so tuned in with each other today. (laughs) Um, For real, Here's the thing about water. There's a ratio that everyone can calculate to know exactly how much water you need. And I want to give you this ratio, and it's quite simple. You take your body weight and you divide it in half. So let's say you weigh 150 pounds. Half of that is 75. And then you add ounces at the end of that. So a hundred and fifty pound person should have seventy five ounces of water a day. Interesting. Now, if you don't, if you do it at fifty or sixty a day or two here and there, it's not going to be a big deal. But you know, we mainly are big bubbles of, you know, we're big balloon of water, and then <laughs> a, head, a head full of fat. Our brain is mostly mm-hmm. fat,
2: so mm-hmm. that's
0: mostly what this body is. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: No, that's awesome. That's so that I love that ratio. I've I've heard so many different versions of the right ratio to have for mm-hmm. the amount of water to drink. And I, I get I get so tripped up on that. And then I just, you know, I have been learning to be to pay more attention to my body so that when I am thirsty or when I am maybe starting to feel a little bit irritable or a little bit cranky, like I know to grab like a drink of water. And
0: that usually helps a lot. So you're so right, Holly, because some of the biggest signs of dehydration, even before we get thirsty, is fatigue and a headache. Mm -hmm. And then what happens you get a headache and you think, Oh, I've got pain, I'm going to take aspirin or Tylenol. And then that messes up your gut. And then you you don't make all those wonderful relaxing brain chemicals. Then you get anxious. Then you want to take another, you know, a pill to reduce your anxiety, and round and round we go. Yeah. When really drinking enough water will cure quite a bit, including GERD, by the way. Hmm. One of the causes of GERD is not drinking enough water. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Man. Well, that's super helpful. I think, well, actually, probably I should back up. You said GERD. Do you mind unpacking that term, just in case any of our listeners aren't sure what that means?
0: Uh, gastroesophageal reflux disorder. We also use uh, the word, um, you know, like an acid stomach mm-hmm. or acid reflux, mm-hmm. or sometimes we'll also refer to gastritis, heartburn And this is one of, it's a big epidemic. And Uh there's an epidemic of medication for it. And the reason why it's so important in mental health for us to pay attention to it is that we now know that these medications contribute to um, higher risk of dementia. And so GERD is a completely preventable and treatable uh, through food, dietary changes and and natural supplementation. So that's a big part of my practice as well.
2: Yeah, well, that's really good. Well, one thing I wanted to ask you too, just for fun, I was interested what what are some of your favorite recipes or what are some of your favorite meals that that are your go-to's that that you really love? Um, All right,
0: I'm gonna think about what I just made this week. I just <laughs> sure. I made a coconut chicken soup. And so I made a chicken soup with, I love adding fresh roots and we can get them so inexpensively at our local markets. If we're near local ethnic markets, like fresh turmeric root, fresh ginger, fresh lemongrass, so I just made that and I got, I had, I had some fresh coconut, but usually, um, I can get a can of coconut cream and that is delicious. Adding in, in a little bit of, of, Chinese parsley. I made some bone broth and you know, i I feed not only two footed people in my family, but four pod people.
2: Yeah. And, I saw that and, on your site. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> well,
0: dogs and cats have to eat healthy too. They're people too. Yeah. And, (laughs) And so when I make a nice bone broth and and make I get a lot of good meat and vegetables and carrots for for my dogs, too. Um, So it's all in the family. So I made a delicious bone broth. The other thing I've got a recipe for stuffed cabbage. And even though it's it takes a little bit more time because you steam the cabbage and then you can stuff it with a delicious hamburger and or you can do it vegetarian too um and then i add some pine nuts and raisins and then i make a delicious red sauce and bake it that i did for a party the other day and everyone went crazy that sounds yummy and the other thing that i do holly i do this every sunday i i make up my salad dressings for the week because a lot of people don't realize that when they buy store bought salad dressings the oil is not good for you it's canola or soy oil which is really just poison for the body so what i do to save time is i do a combination of olive oil and then i uh, cut up a bunch of fresh garlic and then i get some of my um, really good quality fermented uh, apple cider vinegar or, if, or I might choose a raspberry vinegar that week. And then in addition to the olive, I choose some other medicinal oils. Like I might add a little bit of hemp oil to it or a little bit of flax. Now, you have to be careful mm-hmm. so to overwhelm the taste. I call this my brain boost oil. Then I shake it up. And I can leave it in the fridge. And if I get really creative, I might make two bottles. Maybe I'll put an oregano or a dill in one, just so I've got some different flavors. That Mm -hmm. way, I make my salad every day. I can just grab the dressing and I've saved time. And then I store it in the fridge. So there's lots of really innovative ways that you can prepare in advance. And then you know you're truly getting medicine when you're eating. You're getting medicine for the brain.
1: Mm-hmm. So, That's awesome. So good. Yeah. If you want to connect with Dr. Korn, you can find her website, drlesleykorn.com. You can connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud. I mean, you're all over the place making good content. Mm-hmm. Or you could buy her books on Amazon. The newest one we've talked some about is called The Good Mood Kitchen. There's one that I love that is just a bunch of recipes broken up by what they can help with called Eat Right, Feel Right. And then one of the things I wanted to ask you before we go, in the back of the Good Mood Kitchen, you have just pages and pages of resources for people who want to learn more about nutrition and and those sorts of things. Do you have any resources other than obviously your things that I just mentioned but that you would recommend listeners going and checking out if they want to learn more? I'd be happy to. Well, in
0: addition to what I do, I do a a retreat training for professionals uh, twice a year. We're about to launch it as an online training. Um, I also love the uh, beginning training called um, Nutritional Therapy. Uh, practitioner or a nutritional therapy counselor by the Nutritional Therapy Association. And what I love about it is, is a mostly distance program, and then you get together once or twice to do some testing. And it's a very elegant uh, training that really gives you the basics. And so um, that's a good basic nutritional training. And then uh, what I do is very much focused on training for mental health. Um, I also have a book, if we've got any professionals besides the Good Mood Kitchen, it's called Nutrition Essentials for Mental Health. That's the book I wrote for professional mental health practitioners to use in their practice. So lots of resources out there. I've got a free blog with all kinds of information that you can really act on and, of course, lots of recipes as well.
1: So Mm, good. That's awesome. If you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. If you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at robert robertvore. Dr. Korn, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. you. Last thing before we go, do you have any final words, some closing wisdom for our listeners? (laughs) I'm going to repeat what I said. Coffee (laughs) is a drug, not Ah! a drug.
0: <laughs> um, oh no! Is, uh... so use, use it wisely.
2: I'm gonna put a sticky note on my Keurig <laughs> with that phrase. i was say
1: that one might have been pointed at the hosts more than the audience. Yep. <laughs> I
0: guarantee you. I guarantee you that if you improve your food, you will improve your mental health. Mm. So thank you both. This has been delightful. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank, thank you.
2: you so much, Dr. Corn.